Amen. Good morning to you. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn me again to the book of Acts. If you have been with us for a while and somehow were not here last week, uh, we have finished the book of Colossians, and we are now taking a little mini-series, if you will. Everyone likes mini-series, right? A little mini-series through, uh, not through Acts, but to Acts, to look at this idea of church planting. Last week, James started um, our time in church planting and starting in the book of Acts. And of course, we'll stay in Acts for these three weeks. If I could find the book of Acts, I'm just going to keep aimlessly flipping. There we go. Acts chapter 11 this morning. But we are taking a look for a few weeks at this idea of church planting. It should be no surprise uh, to North Hills that we have a desire to plant churches. Uh, we are a church plant. Uh, as we've jokingly said, we're not for sure at what point we went from a church plant just to a regular church. We think we're a regular church. Some days we feel like a regular church. Some days we feel like a church plant. And some days we don't know what we are. But we were planted in 2011, and we had a desire from the very beginning uh, as a church plant to plant other churches. We've said from the beginning that anything healthy grows and multiplies, and that is our desire. Uh, if you had asked us then, uh, we probably wouldn't have said that it would be 12 years into it, but now we're 12 years into it, and we are, uh, pr- we are eagerly praying that the Lord is about to, uh, to, to see fit that we be engaged in actually sending out a congregation or multiple congregations uh, to actually um, start other congregations, to plant churches. And as everything we do, we are looking to the Lord for His timing. This is not necessarily a strategic series to say, okay, when this is over, it's go time, and now we're going to divide the congregation up into three, those who stay and two others that go. Uh, That's not necessarily that, but this is saying that we are prayerfully uh, looking at what it looks like to be a church that plants other churches. That has been our desire from the beginning. If you were here last week, not to belabor uh, an introduction, but James started in uh, the best place to start, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, where we started uh, as North Hills uh, oh, so many years ago, back in 2011, as the church began to gather, as we see in 1 and uh, in chapter 2, and we see there in chapter 2, verse 42, just that crucial verse of what the church should be devoted to as those early disciples, early believers were devoted to. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and prayers and God began to do a great work in their midst and the Holy Spirit had just come uh, to the people of God in Acts chapter 2 and they've been gathered together but now this week uh, we're going from being the gathered church to the scattered church is what we're going to see this morning this scattered church as we pick up from where we left off last week now you have heard me say it before, I love this term, in media res. It is a Latin term that means in the middle of something. And so as we come to Acts chapter 11 verse 19 through verses 30, we will find ourselves in the middle of something great. We find ourselves in the middle of this great book of Acts. Uh, we, uh, we attempted the book of Acts when we first started, didn't do a great job of, of really uh, going through it. And again, uh, this time we're not going through the book of Acts, but this morning we'll cover uh, several chapters. 
Um, and so in the hope in the course of these three weeks, we're going to get another glimpse of Acts. But as we come to Acts 11, we find ourselves in the middle of, in the middle of something, in media res. And so what do we find ourselves in the middle of? We find ourselves in the middle of the heralding of the gospel and the coming together of Jews and Gentiles to be known as one people Christians. The heralding of the gospel and the coming together of Jews and Gentiles to be known as one people, Christians, the church, disciples, believers. And so we, uh, we see this is a major theme in Acts, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. But if you go to, if you see, we're going to be in Acts 11, 19 in a moment. But if you go to Acts 10, and you see really the, the story of Peter and Cornelius and Peter's vision and all that the Lord does with this vision is not really about eating bacon. Although we love to eat bacon, we love to go to this passage to talk about eating bacon, but it's not about bacon. It's not about, about what Peter is to eat. It is ultimately about how the Gentiles, how the Greeks are to be uh, grafted into the people of God. And ultimately, the summary there, the highlight verse, it's found in the verse right before our text this morning in Acts eleven eighteen, And then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so Acts 10, 11, and 12, and then 13, we're going to see Paul starts his missionary journey. This is kind of right in the center of Acts and the crux of all the missionary work that is happening, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And so the gospel is being proclaimed, it is being heralded together with the Jews and the Gentiles. And as we see, as we'll see in a moment, they were first called Christians. And so in the midst of our text this morning, there is so much happening. If we were walking through the book of Acts, it would take us quite a while. And one day we will systematically go through the book of Acts. But this morning is not that morning. And so we're here kind of for a summary flyover, if you will, to capture uh, one of these ideas that Acts is about, specifically the Acts chapter 11 is about, and that is church planting. Yes, the Bible does speak about church planting. Churches are planted in the New Testament. How do you think they started, right? They had to be intentionally started. And to intentionally start a church is, is called, guess what? Church planning, it's that simple. If you go start a work of the Lord, if you go start a congregation that meets to do what they do in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you're planting a church. And so the many things that's happening in Acts chapter 11 is we see the Lord is doing is planting a church, and we're going to call it the first Christian church of Antioch. I don't know if that's what they called it themselves. I don't know if they had a sign. I don't know if they had a church covenant. But the first Christian church of Antioch is what we see in Acts chapter 11. So with that in mind, let's take a look at three reasons the church in Antioch was planted and why we too plant churches. So let's read our text and let's look at these three, um, three reasons that we plant churches. So Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for our text that we come to in Acts. Thank you for a chance to open your word together this morning as your gathered people, Lord. And so would you, by your spirit, Lord, would you guide us and lead us this morning? Would you speak to us by your word, Lord? Would you help us to see the truth of your word and your desire to grow your kingdom through planting churches? In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So we see these three observations, if you will. There are three reasons that we see that churches are planted. We're just going to jump right into it. First of which is this. We plant churches to proclaim the gospel. We plant churches to proclaim the gospel. Why plant churches? We plant churches, right, to to build a bigger brand. We plant churches to increase our name. No, we plant churches to proclaim not the name of a church, not the name of a community, not a, a model of a church. We plant churches to proclaim the gospel. And we see that in Acts 11, 19 through 24, most specifically. So you go back to verse 19, we're going to unpack 19 for a little bit because it really sets up this whole passage for us. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, if you don't understand the context there, that you, this huge thing could be missed on you. Go with me over a couple chapters to Acts chapter 8. Now, Acts, if you remember what James said last week, Acts is a history book. Now, I know some of you, your eyes kind of roll. You kind of just like conk out when you hear history, right? But the richest history book that you'll ever read is church history, which is found here in the book of Acts. Luke did a phenomenal job writing an orderly account of church history, of these acts of the apostles by the Holy Spirit in this orderly account. Now we see, you can go kind of uh, to where we left off last week. We're not going to go through all of these things. But if you go to where we left off in Acts 2 last week, where the Holy Spirit, uh, the, 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 the disciples were gathered, they were fearful, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy, they're full of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter preached this incredible sermon. The disciples gather uh, together, and then the Lord begins to grow the church. That's where we left off in Acts chapter 2. And then if you look in the next few chapters in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, what you see here are a couple of highlights for you. We see Peter and John, they heal a lame man in the temple. So God is using the gifts of healing. We see the apostles perform miracles and the people are saved. The church continues to grow. Even an angel breaks the apostles out of jail to preach the gospel. Because churches are planted to proclaim and preach the gospel. And I love this. And we see in Acts chapter 5, a full number of believers 
were unified and cared for one another. The full number, not most the number, not those who are like-minded, not those from one particular city, but the full number of believers cared for one another. And there none had need, Scripture say, says. And the disciples were even flogged and persecuted, and it said they went away joyful. So we get this picture and acts of these disciples who are, they, they are loving on one another. They are learning all they can about Jesus. They are they're preaching the gospel. People are being saved. The church is growing. And then we see this guy named Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And we've been in Acts chapter 6 this past year as we talked about deacons. And then you see in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, you see Stephen, a man full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs amongst the people. And so Stephen, this man is just full of the Spirit of God. He loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. He loves to preach. He loves people. And then the Jews don't like him. And they capture him. And they, they have this plot against him. And so then he gives this beautiful speech in Acts chapter 7. And it's just, Acts chapter 7 is a very long chapter, and he lays out from Abraham to Moses. He lays out the gospel, and he indicts the people of Israel. He indicts these Jews who, who have rejected Jesus down to the, you see there in Acts 7, uh, verse 50. Uh, verse 53, I believe it is. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And he says in verse 51, you resisted the Holy Spirit. So you've, you've resisted the law. You've resisted the Holy Spirit. You've rejected Jesus, just as Peter said. And they didn't take too kindly to that. And when they had a chance, they snatched Stephen up and they stoned him. He stoned him. He was what we call the first martyr of the church. He laid down his life for the church. Now, I'm going to read the first four verses of Acts chapter 8 with that context. And we see who was at the helm of this was Saul, who we know later on as Paul. So here is Saul, who would be Paul. He was, if you look a few verses earlier, he's the one that they put the coats at his feet. He's the coat taker at this stoning. Now in 8.1 it says, Saul proved of his execution. So we know that, that Saul persecuted the church, but he approved the execution of this young man, Stephen, who loved the church, who loved Jesus, who poured his heart out, who was preaching the gospel, and who was a martyr. Now, follow with me in Acts 7, 8, I mean, Acts 8, 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, everyone, except the apostles, is every one of them. All of them were scattered, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So do you get the, the tone of the early church, this excitement, this growth, this expansive growth, all these things are happening, and then all of a sudden this persecution of Stephen, and now they all get scattered. They're all gathered together in Jerusalem. God is doing great things. He's growing the church. And then the persecution of Stephen happens, and now they get scattered. They get scattered throughout the known world at this time. 
So now when you come back to Acts chapter 11, it makes a little more sense to us. It's the same word. We see it again. And now those who were scattered. So it connects us back to Acts chapter 8. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as these places, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But what were they doing when they were scattered? They didn't just go away scared. They didn't go away and hide because they were doing something. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, what does that mean, speaking the word? We can understand what it means uh, whenever you say, when you go down to verse 20. It, says when it compares it to what the other group is doing to the Hellenists, but it's also preaching the Lord Jesus. They were preaching to the Jews. So this first group of people, they're scattered throughout these other areas. And one group here is Antioch, where this church that we're talking about. They've been scattered. Now they're, now they're, now they're preaching the gospel. We plant churches to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus. Every believing Jew, except the apostle, was scattered out, and God was using that for very specific purpose. Their being scattered did not weaken the kingdom of God. Absolutely not. God was using it. God was at work. He wanted to spread out His church. So he scattered his church. He used the stoning of Stephen to scatter the saints for the soon-to-be spread of the gospel. Because if you looked at just Acts chapter 8 and those first four verses, you could easily say, why? Why did God let this young preacher who has a zeal for the Lord. And we could speculate, right? We could speculate. Maybe he had a young family. Maybe he had a wife and some kids. I don't want to speculate, but he could. This young, this young Stephen, why, why did God let him be stoned? The church just started. It was like, he's the best preacher we had. You got Peter and you got Stephen. We got two sermons right now. And thousands of people are being saved. Why did he have to be stoned? If you just left at chapter 8, you'd be, you'd be left asking and wondering a lot of questions to the Lord. Maybe even frustrated, maybe even bitter. About what is the Lord up to? But now when you come to chapter 11, when you fast forward time, you see what God is doing. He scattered his people for a reason. He used the stoning of Stephen to scatter the saints for the soon-to-be spread of the gospel. So where are they now? They are in Antioch preaching Christ to the Jews. This is where these Jews who were scattered out, they are now in these different places they're in phoenician and cyprus and antioch but our focus this morning is antioch first christian church of antioch right and they're speaking this first there's two groups here that we see this first group they're speaking to no one except the jews they are only sharing the gospel to the jews and they are and the jews that is a that's a huge audience these jews and these are the same people who stoned stephen the same people who rejected christ this group who was scattered out they didn't run away with their tails tucked. They scattered out, but God used them and filled them with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel to the Jews who were also scattered out. So where are they? They were scattered throughout the area, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And then there's this other group. 
And really, we could spend a lot of time with the fact that we got these two groups, but this isn't our main point for this morning. But we see this second group. It says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So you got these two groups. The first group is preaching to the Jews. The second group is preaching Jesus Christ to the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? This can be a little tricky because we see the term Hellenists quite often in the New Testament. And it often speaks to two different groups of people. Sometimes it speaks to Greek-speaking Jews, and other, time it refer, other times it refers to Greek-speaking non-Jews. It always refers to Greek-speaking citizens. The Hellenists are those who have been assimilated into the Greek culture. And we've walked through this, we walked through Daniels, we walked through Hebrews, and we've talked about Hellenization and what that means. But these who are assimilated into the Greek and Roman culture, but a Hellenist sometimes refers to a Greek-speaking Jew, a Jew is a, 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 uh, someone who was Jewish in their faith, but yet they were a part of the Greek culture. They looked like a, a Greek, they looked like a Roman, but yet they also followed the Lord. Then you also had just Greeks or Gentiles, we could say. So which, it is, which is it in this context? And there are many people who would say one and many who would say the other. Now, so if we look at the context here, what we see in the first half of this, of this passage, we see two groups. But what we clearly see in the second half of this passage is we see one group. So I believe that Luke is pointing us to, as we said, this major kind of intersection and crux of Acts. We are seeing that there is one church. There is one group of disciples. There are one group of believers. It is not about those who are Jews and those who are Greeks. And we see that in Paul's writing throughout his letters. And so these, these Hellenists here are Greeks, they are Gentiles. And so we see that the gospel is being proclaimed not just to Jews, but the gospel be, is being proclaimed to the Gentiles. And that is the whole point of Acts chapter 10. And that's the point at the beginning of Acts chapter 11. Because not only does it happen in 10, and then Peter repeats it in Acts chapter 11. So Luke really wants us to get that the gospel is now available that faith and repentance is available to Gentiles. As it says in verse 18, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So you have a group of believers who are preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel to Jews, and you have a group of believers who are preaching the gospel to these Hellenists, to these Greeks, to these Gentiles. And what is happening is they proclaim the gospel. As the first church of Antioch has been planted and established, and the, hand of the Lord, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. People were saved. So as they proclaimed the gospel, as they preached the gospel, as they, as they lifted up Jesus, people were saved. So we see that we plant churches to proclaim the gospel. It is important this morning to see that when the church scattered and began preaching and proclaiming the Lord Jesus, that the church increased geographically and culturally. It didn't just grow in its landmass, which it did. It grew geographically, and it also grew culturally. We see that uh, people and places were brought into the kingdom of God. It was spreading from city to city, and now it was being preached to all people. 
Through church planning, gospel proclamation furthers the kingdom of God, both geographically and culturally. We plant churches to see the kingdom of God grow, because that is how God grows his church. And we plant churches to proclaim the gospel. Secondly, we plant churches to teach the gospel. Not only do we plant churches to preach the gospel, to, pro to proclaim the gospel, we plant churches to teach the gospel. See what happens. As they are preaching the word to the Jews, they're preaching the word to Hellenists, people are being saved, they're being brought into the church. Then in verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church and Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters, if you will, of the church at this time. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They sent one of their best, as we're about to see. They, sent, they, they hear that God's doing a great thing in Antioch, and so they send Barnabas up there to Antioch, or up there. Antioch is north of Jerusalem. And when he came, when Barnabas comes to Antioch, and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We don't talk about Barnabas a whole lot. We talk about Paul a lot. We talk about Peter a lot. We talk about a lot of the disciples and the apostles. But there's a lot to be said about Barnabas. A lot to be said just in those couple of verses. He is a, a, a faithful servant of the church. He is an encourager of the church. He's about to be used in a great way to teach this church. We plant churches to teach the gospel. And Barnabas was a big part of this. So Barnabas did something. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. How did he know to go to Tarsus to find Saul? Glad you asked. Go to Acts chapter 9. He had him there on a shelf, if you will. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 this is, again, you can read uh, Acts chapter 9 to see the conversion of Saul. Fantastic story. Luke gives us this in Acts. We see also some of this in Galatians. But Acts chapter 9 is his uh, conversion. And so all these things are happening in Saul's life. And then part of this picking up in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, uh, he attempted to join the disciples. Remember these disciples who he is persecuting the church. He is pulling people out of the houses. He is striking fear in the hearts of women, men, children. Now he wants to come be a disciple. Hey, guys, remember me? And they were all afraid of him. Go figure. For they did, they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So it was Barnabas who proclaimed the word of the Lord to the disciples to, to verify Paul. To say, yes, he is one of us. He is of the Lord. God is using him and has used him. Receive our brother Saul as one of us. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. There they are again. And they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they're kind of protecting Saul at this moment. And they, they tabled him, if you will. They benched him for a little bit. They sent him to Tarsus. And during this time, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee 
and Samaria had peace and was, and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied. These wonderful things were happening. So Paul saw he's over in Tarsus. Barnabas knows where he's at. Sees his church in Antioch. Sees that the, the Lord is doing great things. His church has been planted to, to, to proclaim the gospel. Now he knows they need to be taught the gospel. And so who does he go get? He goes and gets Saul. And he gets Saul and he brings him back. And it's not just a two-week Bible study. It's not just a little, no, little let's go for a summer. It says for a year. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Can you imagine for a whole year, Paul and Barnabas pouring into the church, the church Antioch? We plant churches to teach the gospel, to teach the gospel. These new believers, both Jews and Greeks, they were starving for solid gospel teaching. But there was no shortage of teachers in the ancient Near East. There was no shortage of teachers in Jerusalem. There was no shortage of teachers in Antioch or Cyprus or Serene or any of these places. Plenty of teachers. Teachers abounded in these places at this time. Teachers were everywhere. There was a profession of teachers. There was no shortage of teachers in the first century. There was no need to provide more teaching for teachers were everywhere. Yet... Those who taught Jesus and Him crucified and as the only way to eternal life and to, and to teach faith and repentance and to teach the true Word, those teachers were in short supply. Those teachers were in short supply. And this is what the church at Antioch needed. They needed good gospel teaching. And Barnabas knew this. The Lord knew this. And the Lord had been working all of these things that to us would have seemed crazy. That just a few chapters ago, here's this guy ravaging the church, it says. And now he's being brought back to teach the church for a whole year. We need to be taught the Word. We plant churches not just to proclaim the Gospel. We plant churches to teach the Gospel. And as it is, it is the same today. It is a common question. We were asked this so many times whenever we plant it back in 2011. We'll be asked again whenever we plant uh, now. And every church, every plant is faced with the same question. Why more churches? Don't we have enough churches? Can you go anywhere in this community? Can you drive from any point A to any point B and not drive by multiple churches? You cannot. It's a fact. If you go anywhere longer than a mile, you will drive. I challenge you to drive a mile in Washtenaw Parish and not pass by at least one church. It's a fact. There are literally churches on, on almost any street that you drive down. There are churches around here you didn't even know existed, and you've been driving by them for 20 years. They're there. There are churches everywhere. There are buildings everywhere. But are these churches teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they teaching, thus saith the Lord, and only that? A healthy biblical church is one that is committed to biblical expositional preaching and teaching. The moment a church is motivated by anything other than the glory of Christ through His Word, it ceases to be a healthy biblical church. 
So we plant churches to teach the gospel. God has given us his word that we might know him and abide in him. We plant churches to teach the gospel. And then lastly, we plant churches to support the gospel. We plant churches to support the gospel. I love this last, uh, this last section. I wasn't even supposed to go uh, through verse 30. I was supposed to stop at 26. Just call me a rebel, okay? So verse 27, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here's the situation. There is an impending famine. It was coming. A prophet prophesied about a future famine. And yes, because we're on this side of history, we can know, did it happen? That's the question. When you read, you know, in the New Testament here, hey, something's going to happen in the future. Our first question, right? We're 2,000 years later. Did it happen? Yes, it happened. There was a famine, just as Luke was writing. It said it happened in the days of Claudius. And there was uh, during, uh, we believe, between 45 uh, 45 and 48 AD, a severe famine occurred throughout the Roman Empire, including the region of Judea. This famine is mentioned by the Roman historian uh, Tactus um, in his uh, books of history and by the Jewish historian Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews. Josephus describes the famine as a time of great distress, scarcity of food, and widespread suffering. He notes that the famine affected Judea and its neighboring regions leading to famine-related diseases and a high death toll. The situation was particularly challenging for the impoverished population. But the issue isn't the details of this famine. It isn't whether or not it happened. And the reason why that's not the issue, because the original audience wouldn't know. They wouldn't know if it was going to happen. They wouldn't know the details. All they knew, according to what we have in Luke here, is that this prophet who has been stamped by the Lord here, because it says he's foretold by the Spirit. So he's not some you know, crazy prophet. He's not someone who's speaking on his own. He is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He, he is saying there is, a, there is a famine coming, and we need to be prepared for that. We need to help the church. We need to support the church not just for their material needs, but that the, so that the church may continue to proclaim the gospel and teach the gospel. So we plant churches not just to proclaim the gospel and teach the gospel, but we plant churches to support the gospel, to support the work of ministry and the work of the gospel. They knew this to be true because the prophet said it was going to be true. It's all they needed to know that this famine was coming and the Lord said it. That was the only stamp that was needed. Quick side note, chase a rabbit for a quick moment. Let it not be lost on us. The fact that we can fully rest on the truth of what God says to us in his word in an age in which you can't believe anything. My dad said, my grandma always told me to believe uh, nothing you hear and half of what you see. And I added even less of what you see on the internet. 
But even nowadays and all the, the, the technology we have, you can't believe what you see, right? So you really can't believe what you hear. You can't believe what you see. You can hardly believe what you experience. You can't believe hardly anything anymore, but you can really and genuinely hold God's word to be truth. Objective truth only resides right here. It's the only thing that we can go to without a hint of doubt. I am one of the most cynical people you'll meet. The only place that I have no cynicism is God's word because it is true. And so let it not be lost on us that we have truth as believers. Only God's word is the source of truth. So there was no need for, uh, so there was a need and the church responded. And it doesn't say that the Jews had their response and the Hellenists had their response. It doesn't say they broke into different groups and parties. It says the disciples responded. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So they responded. Luke gives us the how and the what of their response. Firstly, he says this. This is the how. They responded in a determined fashion. They responded determinedly. Not for sure if that's a word, but we're going to embrace it this morning. They responded determinedly. They were determined. So the disciples determined, they made a decision. Everyone, everyone, the disciples, the believers, the church, they determined that they would support their fellow brothers and sisters, that they would support the other works, that they were not concerned just with the first Christian church of Antioch. They were not concerned just with their community. They were concerned with the other churches the other works that God was doing in and around their area where they could have impact. They made a decision to be a people of action. Churches must first decide if they are going to partner with other churches for partnership, support, and growth. Because we plant churches to support the gospel plant churches to support the the work of ministry that God is doing in his kingdom and it's not just right here at North Hills on Willowman Road it's why we do things like we do with Christ the Redeemer and Pine Bluff it's why we do the things we're doing with reaching and teaching in Ecuador it's why we've done many things with different ministries and different churches over the years why we continue to partner we desire to be a part of the other works that God is doing we desire to plant churches that will do the same thing we plant churches to support the work of the gospel. So this is the how. They determined to do this. They made a decision that they would be a church. They would be a group. They would be a congregation that would support, that would send relief. Now what would they do? What could they do? What was this first century church? We were talking in Sunday morning Bible study this morning that we didn't have the middle class in the ancient Near East. Wasn't the middle class where you know that we we understand in, in this day and age either you were the have or the have not. Either you had all the money or you had none of the money. So they weren't people of means. More than likely, at least the majority of these congregations, there could have been some of people of means, but for the most part, it was not a congregation of means. But they determined, they decided that they would support, they would send relief. How? Everyone according to his ability. That is what they would do. 
They would do whatever they could according to their own ability. Each believer did as he or she could. Their congregation in some ways looked much like ours today. So how could a congregation in the first century look like our congregation today? In many ways, they look nothing alike, but in many ways, we look much alike. We're diverse in, in certain ways. There's young, old, there were laborers, there were businessmen, there were those who had children, those who didn't have children, there were those who were busy, there were those who weren't as busy. There were those all different walks of life. But yet they determined that by whatever means they could, they would send relief, they would support the work of the gospel. So what did their giving look like? Because for a family, you would think, well, we just need a food drive, right? Let's go collect food. And food is definitely a part of it. But this is a famine in the future. I don't know exactly when this future, when this famine was coming, but they had to be prepared for it. They had to gather resources and support. And so maybe there was a financial collection. There's probably a good portion of it, as we'll see later, that Paul takes his financial support to churches. But they probably gathered some, uh, some food that didn't perish, maybe some clothing, some medicine. They did all sorts of things. And we know that it's varied because it says however they could. Everyone according to his ability. They served, they supported the, the work of the Lord and however they could do it. Whatever the giving, it was according to each person's ability that they supported the brothers and sisters in Judea. We, too, desire to support our brothers and sisters both locally and around the world. We say it often that we serve our neighbors and nations. And this is a major benefit in planting churches. Church plants tend to have less of a me-centered attitude. Whenever we plant a church, we typically those who are part of a church plant are there to serve one another, to serve others to support the work of the gospel as churches should be. Those in church plants are determined to give of themselves both to the local gathering and the outgoing support of the church. So what's the best way to support the growth of the church and meet the needs of believers around the world? Through church planting, through planting churches, through plant churches that will preach and proclaim the gospel that will teach the gospel and will support the gospel. I pray that North Hills will continue to be a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel and teaching the gospel and, and supporting the gospel. And that, and that we desire to plant churches that do the same thing, that we desire to plant churches that in turn will proclaim, teach, and support the gospel. And that we partner with churches that in turn will proclaim, teach, and support the gospel. And as this happens, it continues. The Lord's kingdom grows and is strengthened. May we be a church that Christ uses to grow his people and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a chance to be in your word. To be reminded, Lord, of our call as a, as a church plant. As a reminder, Lord, to be about church planning. Lord, I pray that um, you would continue to lead us and guide us in that direction, not just as a church collectively, but even many in this room individually, what that looks like in their life. The days, months, and years ahead, Lord, we be a congregation committed to the gospel, to proclaim it, 
to teach it, and to support it. As we continue our service this morning, Lord, through the singing of your word, through receiving communion, Lord, through giving, may all of these things be to further your kingdom, to be a part of the work that you are actively doing. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.